Blog Talk Radio. From Studio 111 via Radio Saigon and simulcast across the country via Blog Talk Radio and later bflow360.com, this is Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program. I'm your host, Mike Gardner. Join with me always, my partner in crime, the notorious Ben Florence, who is checking in in just a few minutes. Here on the show, great show for you on TAN. It is July 18th, 2014. It is a beautiful day here at Studio 111 Flow in the nation's capital. Michael's still in Dallas. We have a great show once again on hand. We'll talk some MLB post uh, mid-season report, some NBA basketball news as, as trades have been finalized. And we'll be joined shortly by high school pitching phenom Chelsea Baker of Plant City, Florida. So we are very excited. Uh, first, of all, uh, we'll start things off with the All-Star Game, which was an exciting time. Also sad in the fact that it was Derek Jeter's last. But nevertheless, it was very exciting, very entertaining. Lot of- And we apologize for uh, for that technical difficulty. My Gardner Ben Florence Snack Radio back at it once again. B Flow, how was your week? Michael, my week has been uh, pretty pretty solid. Uh, no complaints. How about you, sir? It was good uh, for the reason for the technical difficulties, which we haven't had on the show in a very long time. Uh, I bought <laughs> a very fa- I bought a very fancy uh, not fancy is just a. Like a twenty dollar headset at uh, good friends at Best Buy, and yeah. of course uh, I didn't test it until literally two minutes ago. So I so sometimes uh, it's hard on on the Mac. It's trying to pick up my microphone and the headphones. So I think the microphone was working. So I think you got a, a fans out there got the intro. But at the same time, I don't think uh, the headphones worked as. It was almost a two-minute delay before we started hearing our good friends of uh, Booker T and the MGs. That's right. But anyway, as I was saying in the beginning, big sh- uh, big, sh- big show on hand. 
Uh, big show on hand. We talk some baseball, and then we will talk some basketball, and we will then Flo and I will continue our summer series as we will rank the top five best play-by-play announcers and the worst people on television, the worst personalities on television, and we'll even have a surprise to you uh, later today. Once again, you can listen to Fanatic Radio on the podcast on iTunes blogtalkradio.com, and BFLO360. But we'll start with the All-Star Game. Flo, your initial reactions of a very somber, uh, very also exciting All-Star Game featuring the captain himself. Yeah, it was it was a pretty exciting game. You know, shenanigans, uh, you know, withholding the shenanigans for now. But it actually was a pretty a pretty good game. You know, uh, Jeter had a couple of hits. It was cool to see, you know, as a Yankees fan. Uh, growing up as a Yankees fan, you know, I, my my whole time as being a Yankees fan, I remember, you know, we've got number two lining up at a shortstop each and every night, let and had any, you know, one of the game's greats, one of the classier guys in baseball, uh, known for being to play the game the quote unquote right way. I mean, I don't know what that means, but that's what analysts say. And he played a key part and, you know, let off the game. Uh, they had uh, Mike Trout. I want to give a shout out to uh, MLB Network's Greg Amsinger because he said before the game he was talking. They were talking with Trout on the MLB Network uh, uh, red carpet show, and Amsinger was like to Trout, "Jeter is going to get is going to hit a double, and then um, what's his name? And then Trout's going to hit a triple, and he's going to uh, score uh, Jeter, which happened to be exactly exactly on the ball. What happened? So shout to him. But all in all, it was a pretty exciting game, you know. The game supposedly means something, although the managers, you know, take out players and, tr- and basically play everyone, which means that they know that it really doesn't mean anything. But, of course, the winner gets home field advantage. American League gets home field advantage. You have the Twins, uh, Ken Perkins, closing the game. All in all, I think it was a pretty solid showing for uh, Major League Baseball in Target Field. Well, the best was when Perkins was like at, at, at his, uh, his interview with Ken Rosenthal after the game. He was saying, "I love the atmosphere. It's like, which is why we need to get our team in the playoffs." Quickly went to MLB.com and see the Twins were in dead last in their division. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a rough couple of uh, few years for for the Twinks. Uh, last uh, uh, they've been at or near the cellar in the American League Central. It looks like they're there again. But they got some the, a lot of talent coming on the rise. You got a, a lot, a bunch of really strong prospects. So you got Buxton. Uh, there are a few other guys whose name is escaping me as of right now. But Toronto, or not Toronto, Minnesota is a club that has a nice future. Uh, they've got some talent uh, coming down the road in the pipeline, and they'll be a team to be reckoned with uh, in a couple of years. All right, and back to the All-Star game. American League wins, gets home field advantage uh, with after uh, starting pitcher Adam Wainwright. Took a little bit of flack in, in regards to your boy Derek Jeter, Flo, saying that he uh, originally said their comments or perceived comments was that he was grooving balls to Jeter, thus letting him get the hit. And then later it blew up so fast, Aaron Andrews had to go into the dugout and clear things up with Wainwright. Too much drama, or should we be uh, pitchforks and torches in St. Louis? Well, the, here's the problem I have with it. it it's, it's a problem that shows the, 
the absurdity really of it all. First off, as I said, nobody really treats the All-Star game as what it meant. I read a, a post, and it may have been also now, that if, if, the, if the managers were actually trying to win, you know, they wouldn't be taking Mike Trout in the third or fourth inning when he's the best player in baseball. And for various other guys, you wouldn't be pitching your starters. You wouldn't have uh, American League manager John Farrell say, I'm not going to pitch a pitcher more than an inning. If you're trying to win the game, you, you would have had Felix Hernandez go as deep as you can. You play with your starters, all that jazz. So... It, so and the Wainwright thing, you know, I'm really all over all over the board on this because Wainwright grooving a pitch in theory looks like it's an all star game, it shouldn't matter. The problem is A is that the game technically does matter. And while it, in that whole that first inning Wainwright gave up the three runs, which ultimately they were able to tie the game but then they lost five to three. So by that, the problem with that is now that could have hurt a team potentially like the Cardinals getting home field advantage, which shows how absurd it is that the All-Star game decides who gets home field advantage in the World Series. It's completely inane. The second problem is if Wainwright really grooved the pitch to him, you don't need to say it or joke about it. There's no reason for him to say it at all. Because then he could just be like, you know, going forward, it wouldn't be a story. The fact that he went to the press and said it, the people that were at, were there when he said it was like, he, he didn't look like he was joking. It looked like he was being dead serious. And then he has to come back and more or less apologize for to do that. And now it's like, now the whole jeer hit. It looks like Wainwright was basically trying to give it to him. You know, for, you could talk about the sake of competition and all that jazz. And also you have to factor in that now that became the prevailing, one of the prevailing storylines was the Wainwright mess. The whole Aaron Andrews thing, I mean, yeah, she had the stupid question about don't you love social media? Because if social media doesn't make a comment, it was Je- the first person I saw was Jeff Hassan who tweeted that Wainwright said he grooved a pitch, which – the, 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 it was two, the 2001 All-Star game where Chan Ho Park was pitching. Cal Rukin Jr. hadn't hit for much power all year, but it was his final All-Star game. He hit the home run. He cranked one out of uh, Safeco Field. It was a pitcher's park, which everyone thought to believe that was a groove pitch by Park. You know, he never said anything. Bad. If, if Wainwright, you know, really did do it, you don't need to say it. I mean, or say it down the line. Don't say it now because then – the whole storyline, the whole storyline was manufactured to be Jeter's last game. Then it became Wainwright uh, grooving the pitch. So it just shows how inane the whole situation is, and the fact that this game is supposed to mean something, though everyone knows that it doesn't. A guy either having terrible humor, pretending to make a comment, not making a comment, total mess, all over the place. Yeah, he gave that, like, half-cheesy smile to Andrews, and he just really didn't play it off as the calm, collected guy in the dugout. It seemed like it really got to him. But if Flo was the commissioner, would you encourage the managers to try harder for the All-Star game? Well, I mean, if you're going to do it so that I get it that, you know, you want everybody to play. I understand that. And 
But baseball is is different than like NBA. You'll have substitutions come in, and then you can interchange players. You can do that in any other sport except for baseball. That's the problem. I think that if if, if the point, if the commissioner, if they're going to continue and say that, but also, you know, now I'm now I'm kind of questioning myself. What decides, how can you tell if a manager is actively trying to win or not? Because Jean Farrell was doing the strategy, pitching one pitcher every inning, but that actually that worked, and it won him the game. So it's, it's hard to regulate something like that as to saying to try harder to win. Because, I mean, I think they technically are trying to win, but they're also trying to juggle getting everyone on the field so that everyone can play, get in a bad pitch, all that jazz. So it really just shows, again, there's no reason that this game should be deciding the World Series. I mean, bottom line, it's, it's ridiculous. The only sport that does it, everyone else, with the exception of the NFL, that's a neutral site, so it's irrelevant. And there's not that many advantages to being home or away as to NBA or the NHL. So it's, it's a name. It's, it's, it's a problem created by baseball. That and it seems like baseball is never going to address it, or they'll pr- they're not going to address it for a while. Maybe a new com- when a new commissioner comes in, but all in all, it just it shows how kind of absurd the situation is. It's the world's biggest catch twenty two because uh, you said it best last week when um, MLB Network's Peter Gammons recommended that the World Series should be on a neutral site. That I personally think is it's probably the smartest way to go considering the World Series is one of the oldest championships in our country, in our you know, national pastime, it should be something because of, of a fiasco like the All-Star game in which home field is decided by guys not trying and or trying. I still think, I still think they should be encouraged to try. You know, it's interesting how even some guys on the National League side didn't get it. I don't think David Price got in. who was considered one of the best players in baseball, pitchers in baseball especially. Well, well uh, David, I think they the thing with David Price was that he was starting on Sunday, so he was scratched. Uh, and then, uh, why didn't your boy uh, Johnny Cueto play? I believe he didn't play for a similar thing. He must have been pitching a play. All right, and I asked you this on Twitter, uh, but I'd love to see uh, a few days down the road your thoughts. If your thoughts and opinions have changed, bigger all-star game impact of uh, – Mariano Rivera or Derek Jeter? You know, that really is a great question the way I thought about it. It's because both went out and they did have impactful. The thing with Mariano is that he did pitch the ace. I mean, I, I, there were some people that could said, oh, we should have saved him for the ninth. Jim Leland should have saved him for the ninth, although there's no guarantee that he would have been able to pitch in the ninth had they been, they been able to get the lead. But the, the whole Mariano thing coming in to enter Sandman, the whole place went quiet. It was going nuts. And then right after when the music came on, that was cool. Then you have the Jeter thing. Uh, that was very cool. I may go. I may have to go with Mariano because now the whole Jeter thing, you factor in the Wainwright, uh, all that jazz. Although now Jeter got us hit with a classic inside out uh, driving a ball to the other field. Um, but I think I may – it's a tough one, and I hope nobody revokes my Yankee fandom after saying that, but I may have to go with Mo, with the uh, what happened with uh, Mariano Rivera last year. Yeah, Mariano Rivera, uh, as the Zahn says, Sports Pope says, greatest closer of all time. The thing with Jeter, though, I love his interview with 
uh, the guys in the booth, Harold Reynolds, Tom Ritchie, and Joe Buck, well, two the best comments he said when they were asking him, you know, is he going to miss all of this, and how he made his career so so lengthy. He was saying he played every day like he was fighting for his job, which when you take a look at the Yankees organization, that's a franchise that can easily replace you for some either some other experienced guy or some hot shot who's wanting to make millions and millions of dollars. The fact yep. that Jeter hasn't been on a different team and that he has been playing shortstop with very little injuries, even though every other year people are asking us to see if he's going to retire, is he going to leave, is he going to step down, and he's uh-huh. still playing, 40 years old, very impressive. And in terms of the game, I have to go, in terms of the game, I'd say it's Jeter because his first two sort of events were a diving, you know, a diving snag, which almost turned to an out at first, yeah. and then... And then his first at bat, he just rips one down the first base line. So I like Jeter. Especially another thing with the All Star Game and Derek Jeter was that commercial, that Air Jordan commercial by Spike Lee, with everyone tipping their hat to the captain. Probably one of the coolest commercials I've seen in in months. I agree. The, the yeah, fact that you got you got guys like Rudy Giuliani, and you have. Michael Jordan, uh, the, the Mets players that are faces and numbers are blurred out, and then you got, you know, pop stars like Jay Z and Spike Lee. So a very well, very well made commercial. The fact that everyone is recognizing how solid Jerry Jeter was. But as we roll into our Fnatic Radio MLB mid-season report, Mike Trout. 22-year-old, won MVP of the All-Star Game, and you were saying earlier that he's currently the best player in baseball. Well, yeah, and, you know, on a, on a brief aside, you know, you talk about Derek Jeter playing every day like, you know, he could be replaced. That's kind of like how I feel when I do Fanatic Radio. But, yes, I do feel Aww. that Mike Trout, has, <laughs> Mike Trout has been the best player. Uh, well, I feel that Mike Trout has been the best player the last two years. And I think that he should have won MVP the last two years over Miguel Cabrera. But I think it's without question Trout has been the best uh, player in the American League. He's, uh, you know, he's playing for a better team now, which is definitely going to help. He's got the average. He's got more power. He's driving him runs. He's playing fantastic defense. Mike Trout should be. Now, you you, you know, there's a difference there, too. There should there shouldn't be a difference between who should be and who will win the AL MVP. But the MVP in the junior circuit, as of right now, it's got to be uh, Mike Trout. And quite frankly, it's really not that good. Does it matter if it does it help him if his team makes the playoffs? Because as of now, they're currently in a wild card spot. I think it definitely does help because you look at the last two years, Mike Trout had a better all around year than. Miguel Cabrera. Cabrera was a little better at the dish, but Trout would bring more speed, bring more uh, defense. It also would have helped Cabrera and her Trout that the Angels weren't very good and the Tigers have been strong World Series ALCS contenders. So I think, it, now in my opinion, it, shouldn't, it really shouldn't matter because baseball is not like the NBA. The NBA, you can have a star player, you're going to get to the playoffs. You're going to have one star player on a baseball team because one guy is not involved in every single play. You could have a great pitcher, but you, if the rest of your pitchers are scrubs, then you're not going to go anywhere. So that's, I, I don't think that's a supporting cast. 
feel that the supporting cast is what should help decide, should play a role in deciding the MVP. But although it clearly does matter, because you have the people that will say, well, how good was he if his team lost 90 games? Well, he's, if how good would they be if he wasn't on the team? So, and you could look at it that way. But it shouldn't matter, but it does matter. And it, w- and it definitely helps that Trout is leading a team that's in good playoff contention right now. It's funny you mention that. The term most valuable player, it's, it's, it's singular. It's not necessarily a team because that immediately right. applies for Troy Tulowitzki, in which there was a great Sports Illustrated cover article about him saying that he currently is in you know, the hunt for NL MVP despite the Colorado Rockies having you know, the third worst record in baseball. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, yeah, and, and you know, the thing with Tulowitzki is that he has been unbelievable at the he leads, I think he said, I think there was a graphic that said he leads the, the NL in batting average. And he's one of the best hitters in baseball right now. Yeah, and the Rockies are like 20 games under 500. Yeah, and he's playing a position – that yeah, he's his triple flash numbers uh, uh, the slugging are are fantastic, and they're one of the best in in the National League, and particularly at a position that historically is a defensive position where you generally you don't get very much offensively from the shortstop. Ah, of course, that really changed in uh, uh, really in the nineties. We have Nomar Chiapara, the aforementioned Cheater, the immortal Arod. But you look at Tulowitzki, yeah, his flame is, is atrocious. And I, and I wonder if it could hurt him the fact that he does play half of his game in Coors Field, which, let's be honest, even with the humidor, it's a huge advantage. But, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, discounting the fact that even though there is a dis- clear disparity, he's like over 400, I believe, at Coors Field. But, you know... You never hear that said about somebody who plays at Fenway Park or plays at another one of these band boxes, uh, Citizens Bank Park, uh, you know, in Texas. Any of those places where the ball will fly or it's a small park and it's a hitter's park. So I think that Tulowitzki has definitely been in a, what is a very wide, a wide open and a strong NL field. There are a number of really deserving candidates. But I think Tulowitzki, across the board, has been the best player in the NL. And the fact that he has been amazing for a team that's been awful, and again, that's like what I say, where would the Rockies be without Tulowitzki? So, I think, I think Tulowitzki, in my opinion, whatever, whatever, for whatever that's worth, is your NL MVP. Could we see a pitcher win NL MVP? Because on the B-Flow 360 midseason report, you have runner-up jobs from the Croy catcher from the Brewers, but then Cy Young, your boy Johnny Cueto, is up there again, who didn't play in the All-Star game, but has been putting up stellar numbers this year. Could he be in the hunt? Uh, it's possible. Usually now, because apparent, because the the thought is that about a pitcher winning uh, MVP, although Justin Verlander won when he was dominant a couple of years ago, won like 24 games. But the argument always is Cy Young is for the pitchers. You know, a hitter can't be the can't win the Cy Young. But it's, it's not the most valuable batter. It's the most valuable player. I don't know if any of these top pitchers will get in the mix. I actually think, you know, you talk about Cueto and the NL Cy Young. I think that over his last few starts, Cueto hasn't been as good. So if you ask me today, it's kind of an interesting question. Pitcher in the NL this year thus far has been your boy, Clayton Kershaw. 
but he was also out for a month. So he's not even eligible for, like, the ERA award. Uh, he's not eligible for that because he hasn't had enough innings. And Kershaw probably at the end of the day, who I think should have been starting the NL the All-Star game, although he didn't start because Mike Matheny picked his guy. But I think as of right now, I would give the Cy Young to Wayne. Pro- I would probably give it to Wainwright because Wainwright's numbers are only, like, a little bit off of what Kershaw is, but he has been playing more playing over the season. I mean, Kershaw probably will win it because he is the best pitcher in baseball. But I think that um, right now it would actually be Wainwright, not Kuwait, winning the NL Lion, for whatever that is. All right, before we shoot it to uh, commercial break, we'll play some little uh, baseball round robin in terms of the biggest surprises when we've reached the midpoint in the 2014 baseball season. Sort of like the eye exam, where you choose A, B, and then B or C. The most surprising team, would you say, Flo, the Oakland Athletics or the Milwaukee Brewers? I think it would be, because I thought the, the A's would be good. They've been really good. Uh, but I thought they'd be very good, but not as good as they are. I think the Brewers, although the Brewers have had a lot of luck, uh, and I thought the Brewers could be a solid team. I thought they'd be an above 500 team. I think the Brewers may be a little more surprised. Although they haven't been playing as great of yet, and there's no guarantee to make the playoffs because uh, St. Louis is in the mix in the NL Wild Card race in the National League. That'll be an interesting one as well. But I think I may go with the Brewers because I did have a pretty strong feeling that Oakland was going to be a good playoff team and probably win the AL West. Well, they have the best. Oakland has the best record in baseball. I think that's a surprise because they. The past few years, it's been Texas's division, but then recently, you know, the Anaheim Angels, Los Angeles have been in the mix, and then Oakland made the playoffs last year. Now this year, they're really flexing their muscles. I think they're more surprised because I could not, with the guys that were in the All-Star game, I could not tell you a single one. Because I, I remember the Oakland A's when Coco Crisp used to play with them. <laughs> so that's how far back my baseball knowledge goes. Brewers are a big surprise, considering the whole thing with Ryan Braun last year. And now he's suspended, and now they're coming back, and they picked up some some key guys. You know, Miles Ramirez was in the All Star game. Yep. Uh, Lucroy, the catcher, was in the All Star game. So a lot. Wait, of... Coco Crisp still plays for the A's. Does he? Yeah, he got he got traded back to Oakland because he went to Boston for a while. And I don't know where he was. So shout out to Coco Chris. Yes, <laughs> I, I knew he Great played man. in Oakland. The only thing, the two things I love about the Oakland Athletics is one. They were one of the very few teams that originally started the white shoe fad. And That's right. the best was when Jeff Sarmanja from the, got traded from the Cubs to Oakland. He asked the players, you know, with our dress code on the road, and they were just saying, oh, our only rule is to win games, which is fantastic, knowing that you hear stories of Barry Zito. He used to wear, like, flip-flops and khaki shorts on the road. And, hey, Barry Zito went on and did really well for the Oakland A's. Back in the, uh, the Billy Bean renaissance. All right, back to our round robin. The Baltimore <laughs> Orioles or the Washington Nationals? Uh, I would say the Orioles because I thought the Nationals would be good. I did pick them to win the National League East, and I thought they'd be a solid uh, get back to being a good uh, National League World Series center. I'm going to have to go with Baltimore because Baltimore, the offense hasn't been great. Uh, well, I mean, it's been solid. Chris Davis is below the Mendoza line. He's batting 199. The pitching really hasn't been that great either. But they're also taking advantage of a division that's been a complete mess. Tampa Bay, where Tampa Bay, which not that long ago had the worst record in baseball, 
now it's been playing great baseball over the last month, and it looks like a team, if they hold on to Price, which they may do, they may be the, potentially get on a run, win the uh, AL East. But I think you got to go. I think I would go with Baltimore in that situation of the quote battle of the Beltways, which is interesting. I was listening to the radio. When you think of the Beltway, you think of DC. The, the DC Beltway or the Capitol Beltway does not obviously go near Baltimore, but Baltimore has a Beltway of their own, so that's probably the more realistic road that connects them is the uh, the Baltimore Washington Parkway. But you know, the Battle of the Parkway that doesn't sound fun, right? This makes it sound weird. That's right. I'll have to go. I'll have to go with the Washington Nationals as a surprise because Baltimore's always in the mix. They beat they beat my Rangers in the playoffs, and they're only five games above your Yankees, ahead of your Yankees. The Nationals were awful last year. They were, uh, you know, they went to the playoffs. They shut yeah, down they Strasburg. Awful. They won eighty six games last year. Yes. Well, they didn't make the playoffs though. They had all this hype because they were supposed to be everyone saying oh, they're the best team in well, baseball last true. year. I'll give you that. Didn't make the didn't make so the year before a couple of years of flight shut down Strasburg and they all all its expectations, and then this year you know we had the whole scenario and Fanatic Radio's covering of uh, of Bryce Harper and not hustling. Everyone's getting mad at him. He's public enemy number one, and then all of a sudden this team starts winning games. You got guys like Zimmerman and um, you know Brandon Brandon Worth actually stepping up and playing well. So and the Nationals are going toe to toe with the Hot Atlanta Braves which I've been very surprised. But good to see our Washington Nationals back up top of the division. So that will do it for our MLB reports, midseason reports. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll give a shout-out to an anniversary, talk about the USA soccer and basketball teams, which are currently in the news. And Flo and I will present our top five best and worst for FNAC Radio Summer Series. You're listening to FNAC Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Fanatic Radio. This show's a joke. It's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio.
Music Radio. I have no decision-making capability on this program. It's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Back here on Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program, Mike Gardner, Ben Florence, bringing you a groove in. No tongue-in-cheek shout-out to uh, Adam Wainwright on that one, but a uh, good summer song. This is what it was mainly for. Uh, you can listen to b and I break down the MLB All-Star Game and mid-season update on the first half of the show. Unfortunately, due to last-minute cancel, our guest Chelsea Baker will be joining us next week. For those of you that don't know who she is, she is the pitching phenom out of Plant City, Florida, who has kind of perfected the knuckleball, and she is a rising senior in high school. So it'll be very interesting to get the scoop when she is our weekly conversation next week. Uh, and also, we want to give a shout-out to a very special anniversary that's happening all this week. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. So it started on the 16th, and on Sunday will be the 45th anniversary of when we made that fantastic voyage going where no man had gone before. The moon landing, Flo, <laughs> can you believe it, 45 years ago? Well, yeah, I remember it just like it was yesterday. Wow, I, I did not know the uh, anniversary was going up so soon. <laughs> yeah, I know. I uh, heard it on NBC Nightly News with Brian Williams. Uh, 16th was the anniversary of the launch, so... And then apparently uh, the 20th, they, uh, I guess, got to the moon. And then in the early mornings of the 21st, they landed on the moon. So, very exciting. Also, Flo, I want to give you some daily science tip of the, of the, of the week. Found it on, on New York, on, uh, on nymag.com. Apparently, mixing alcohol and energy drinks may be unhealthy. I'm sorry. When I first read this, why? How dare they put a may in that sentence? What do you mean maybe unhealthy? It is unhealthy. <laughs> Lucky. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you're absolutely right. Who would have thought that? Well, really, energy drinks in general are not healthy. So it's like you know, I was going to say, none of them are healthy. That's why I, I love the World Cup. I love the World Cup commercials with Kaepernick. Exactly. I love the World Cup with, with Kaepernick for promoting this, this new energy supplement. It's probably very unhealthy for you. But, oh, well, we're not ripping it. Let's talk some b-balls. <laughs> All right, so the M- NBA trades have been going up and down. It's been wild. It's been crazy. They've been taking the summer league way too seriously, especially Sports Center, by showing Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker going at it, which makes no sense, but whatever. Uh, free agents still on the market, though. Kevin Love... A uh, chance that he might go to Cleveland. He still is looking at Golden State. What's happening with Mr. Love? You know, I think I don't. I think for all all parties, I think it looks like Minnesota is not. Everyone's acting like Minnesota, you know, is going to trade him right now. They don't have to trade him until the trade deadline. 
the the team that was looking like it was it was really going to happen was Golden State, except Golden State is has shown that they're really they they're not exactly willing to give up Clay Thompson, and Minnesota is making it clear that he has to be the centerpiece of any deal. If you're Cleveland, I'm I'm in the camp of guys like Bill Simmons, Jason McIntyre, and others. They don't need a trade for love right now. Why don't they hold on to Wiggins and see what he is? Best case scenario, Wiggins turns into the Pippin to uh, LeBron's Jordan. If if I think that's the best case scenario, May, perhaps he becomes even better than that. But Pippin was, of course, an all-time great. Worst case scenario, Wiggins is a disappointment. Then you trade for him. Love is a free agent, so if nothing happens, they could always try and make move make a move and get him in free agency. There's no, they don't need to make this move right now because, it, and the thing is, even with Wiggins with this team in the Eastern Conference, Cleveland can still end up in the NBA Finals with how it's, the Eastern Conference is wide open. I don't see the need. You're getting uh, for a guy, you're getting a supremely talented player, Andrew Wiggins. Why don't you give him a chance to see what he is before you go off and trade him right away? I don't. I don't agree with the theory that they have to trade for him right now. I think they can wait and see what they have in Wiggins, see what happens with Love, because Love is not being dealt anytime soon. There really isn't anybody else that's in the mix right now. So I think as of right now, Love will be staying in Minnesota in the meantime. And maybe who knows? Maybe they'll pull a Lamarcus Aldridge, as Bill Simmons noted. Lamarcus Aldridge was all set to leave Portland until Portland became good. Maybe by any chance, Minnesota becomes a very good team. And then maybe Love will want to say. I think for all parties, he's best to be a little patient and not need to rush into anything and make a move that they don't have to make right now. But a good thing for Kevin Love, a chance for him to take his mind off of all this, is Team USA announced a 20-man preliminary roster to break to get it down to the 12 guys of representing the United States in Spain. Mm-hmm. For the World Cup. Yeah, another World Cup is among us. And a lot of surprising names that Coach K and company are taking to uh, to Vegas or wherever they're having their camp. Because, you know, you got, you got, your, big, you got your big guys like Kevin Love, James Harden, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, guys from the Olympic team. But then you have a couple of new names and, and players that surprisingly – decided to withdraw their name because of health issues. Uh, interesting one, especially, is, is Derek Rose. He did play on the 2010 team that was in Turkey and won, but did not play on the Olympic team. Yet Rose is coming off his second surgery, and a lot of people are sort of nervous, saying this isn't the best way for him to sort of get back into playing when he goes up against international play. And then you have guys like... Kawhi Leonard and Marcus Aldridge, who also withdrew their names because they either didn't want to risk getting hurt or just didn't want to do it. But, Flo, looking at the pool of guys that are in this, you have a lot of of, of big names, as I mentioned, but then you also have a lot of youthful guys that are really looking to be sort of the face of the league from some years to come. Biggest surprise on this list of guys that you think just why uh, they just have no shot making this team. Well, I think that what's interesting, I think that I haven't, I have, uh, I'd have to double check the uh, the whole list. I haven't, off the top of my head, I, I don't know. Every, I think you mentioned uh, Kawhi Leonard. I think that is a uh, a very interesting inclusion because 
a lot of people think that with how awesome he played in the finals, he could take you know take that star turn, become a dominant player for San Antonio. And I think that it's interesting to see him there because a lot of guys will tell you, getting the experience from playing against all these top American players, all these top NBA stars, can really be supremely beneficial for them and you know against who who they're playing right now. It helps. It can help elevate their play, which I think is a, a, a net positive for a lot of these guys, these younger guys, who can really show off their game and show that they, and elevate their game to show that they belong on the uh, on a team like this. So, regardless, I mean, let's be frank: the United States will end up winning the gold again because they've got a a great coach, b they've got you know they've definitely have the best players in the team. And once they, you know, get used to playing with each other, this team is virtually unstoppable. It, it'll take an epic shock for them not to win gold. I th- and I think you would agree with that. I hope you would agree with that. <laughs> well, it, it's different between the Olympics and the, world, and the World Championships because the Olympics yeah. is when is, is, is single-handedly on the biggest stage for USA Basketball to thrive. The World Champions, though, we almost lost in the finals last time against Turkey. Of course, Turkey was the host right. nation. Unfortunately for us this time, our host nation, that was also, I believe, Coach K's second time with the team, first time with a bunch of young guys. So I think that's when he had guys like Lamar Odom and Chauncey Billups, non-regulars on the Olympic team. Obviously, no Carmelos, because I think Kevin Durant was the biggest star on that team, as he's going to be on this team. The Olympics, though, is when we got LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, well, Kobe well, Bryant. We have none of those guys. We have a lot of I'll throw you some names of guys that are on this set that probably won't make it, but at least are getting a chance to to try out for camp. Washington Wizards' Bradley Beal is on the list. Um, Sacramento Kings' DeMarcus Cousins, which is probably the biggest question mark for me. And then you have guys that are sort of on the cusp of the next generation of players, like I mentioned, Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard, DeMar DeRozan, Andre Drummond, the, the, the tandem of Golden State, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. The only yeah. thing I think this list of guys is lacking, and it really um, was sort of a, was sort of a punch in the gut, knowing that most of the big post guys aren't competing. Or so guys like Dwight Howard, Aldridge, David Lee, Tyson Chandler, they and LeBron, even LeBron James himself, they all are not partaking in this. So the post players that Coach K has to work with is Andre Drummond, uh, Boogie Cousins, Anthony Davis. And um, Blake Griffin and Kenneth Fareed. So, once, because one thing the United States always struggles with, which the European teams dominate, is size. But then again, you know, you had LeBron James playing before in the Olympics. Yep. So, this is, a very, this is going to be a very guard oriented team. You'll see a lot of, this is where it's going to be a, a, week, a, a blessing and a curse for Team USA with a guard heavy team because. Uh, looking at the guys on this roster, there's two things that obviously post players is an issue, and then defense. Paul George has been the and Paul George in terms of of and Derek Rose and Kyrie Irving are the only guys on this list of real go getters. No Russell Westbrook, as he was one of those guys that Coach K could bring off the bench and immediately get steals, really turn the tide defensively. It's it's the key of who is going to close out, especially on the three point attempt. Because that's where you get a lot of those guys like the Spains, the Lithuanias, the Russias, the teams that 
And then you know, we got France to deal with, the team who had, you know, just won the European Championship a few uh, a couple of years ago with Tony Parker and Boris Diaw. You got to go out. The European teams like to shoot the three, and of course, you know, NBA guys don't do a very good job of defending the three. So it'll be very interesting to see what Coach K does. But as a 19-man roster, which he will probably announce sometime in August when this team goes to camp, I'm very excited to see Derrick Rose play. Also, I'm, I'm curious to see how the guys that you never would see in a USA jersey respond, how guys like Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis uh-huh. and Steph Curry, those guys, see on the world stage. Very exciting. But ladies and gentlemen, it is, that, it is that wonderful time Again, you're on oh, Radio. you are living la vida loca. And we got the funk. Oh, well, uh, glory be, the funk's on me, Bobby. Keep that funk alive. Keep that funk alive. Mm. Well, it's 1975, and we'll just be keeping the funk alive. It's time for FNAC Radio to continue its summer series with our best and worst, sponsored by Nobody. As last week, if you listened to last week's episode, we broke down the best and worst television shows, sports television shows. Now we'll bring you the best and worst of, of uh, personnel that bring you the uh, voices of the games. The best and worst Play, uh, personalities on television will immediately start off with the worst. But quick, quick little disclaimer. Flo and I, we, we are the lovers of the media. So we have one worst list of just guys that are, are straight up awful. And then for our best, we like so many, so many guys do such a good job. We have separate groups of best play-by-play and best analyst. But for our overall worst Number five from Turner Sports, Dick Stockton. Flo, you you recommended this to me. What make what about Dick Stockton makes your skin crawl? Yeah, so Dick Stockton's been doing a long veteran broadcaster. Uh, he's done with Tur- he just he doesn't do as much stuff with Turner really anymore. He didn't didn't do any NBA playoffs except for uh, one game on NBA TV, Nets uh, Raptors in Toronto. But now he's still doing the NFL on Fox. He uh, doesn't do as much baseball anymore. He did a little college uh, basketball. They really seem to cut down on his workload. But, and it makes sense because, again, Dick Stockton was a very good broadcaster back in the day. He was the lead broadcaster for the NBA on CBS. He was the top broadcaster on the NFL on CBS, NFL on Fox. Uh, one of perhaps his most famous calls is uh, the Carlton Fist home run for a long time, but it's, he's one of those guys where the thing with an announcer, when they start to lose it, generally they start to lose and they lose it fast. Dick Stockton is now a complete mess, whatever he does again. He's senile, which is never a great thing. And, you know, we on our best list, we do have a number of old guys that have managed to stay, stay strong with it. But Stockton really, and it's, and it's a shame, because, again, Stockton was a really good broadcaster, but now you listen to one of his games, He's a mess. So, and so yeah. So Stockton has now become one of the worst. And it's, I think it's, it's, it, may, it could be a shame for somebody like him that he may end up being remembered for how much how bad he was at the end of his career instead of how good he was early. So, Dick Stockton, number five. And he is the only 
play-by-play guy on this list because we have we have a lot of them that can go two ways, uh, including Jim Nance and Brett Musburger, very good, especially in their old days of being good at some sports but being terrible at some sports. One guy who I don't understand, and he is number four from Sunday Night Football himself, Chris Collinsworth. Now I have now I have a major beef with Collinsworth, but. He's one of those guys that will look at his critics and, and see that people think he's not doing a very good job and then just tear up the piece of paper and throw it away in the bin because he continues to to be an assault on the ears, especially on one of the highest-rating shows of Sunday Night Football. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I in terms of Collinsworth, I've never been a huge fan of his. And one thing that I don't like about Collinsworth is that he thinks he, sometimes in the booth, like, he'll think he's a comedian, like, he'll crack jokes, that fall flat, the comment on, like, you know, voiceovers. Because he's not, I mean, I've never been a huge fan of his as an analyst. I'm, I think we may still be on the minority on that. Uh, I think that he generally is, uh, but I, the thing with me with Congress is just his intense humor, which, I mean, as you can tell with people like me, when some people try and do humor and they're not capable of doing it, it can be, it can be kind of painful. So. Collinsworth, number four. Number three, uh, I don't even think he does games anymore, but still he makes this list, is uh, a great coach, awful broadcaster, Bob Knight. He's a guy that, that, that father time has caught up to him very quickly. And even watching back in the, in the ESPN games when uh, the Big 12 used to have, I think it was Big 12 uh, two, Monday or, yeah, Big 12 Monday, when Big Musburger Monday. was doing, Big Monday when Musburger was doing games with Bob Knight, it just looked like two old guys, and Bob Knight continues to look just very sad and depressed doing these games. Yeah, and Knight, I believe now they moved him from that to where he's doing like that Thursday now, like ESPN two, SEC game. I think he does it with Reese Davis. They recently signed a new contract. I have no idea why. Because early on, they they try to consider him to be one of the better analysts. He was on game day. They gave him a lot of high profile stuff. But the problem with Knight is that his insight really is not great, and he also would he talks very slow. Like he'll he doesn't speed up the pacing of his voice. So he'll talk right through multiple possessions on a previous point. And also the whole thing of him having his bias against Kentucky was really ridiculous. I mean, if you don't like Kentucky, if you don't like Cal Prey, that's one thing. But he was so over the top of that. And then it became such a problem that ESPN was like, yeah, he's not going to do Kentucky games. Then if he can't be impartial on that, then why are you having him broadcast in the first place beyond the fact that he, you know, the legendary coach, the big name, you were a controversial guy at them. But Knight really was, I think, a really big disappointment because he just, he, he's not particularly charismatic. His insight, I mean, he's a, he was a brilliant coach, but his insight wasn't great. He had better insights from somebody like, like your good friend Fran Fraschilla, who was a solid coach, but he wasn't the coach Bob Knight. So it, Knight was, is proof that sometimes even the best people in their field, like coaching or best player, does not always translate into great commentary. And also the fact that he's kind of an ass, but beyond that. Yeah, and he's still, he's still a very grouchy and old, but a legendary coach nonetheless. Number two, these top two guys are ones that both Flo and I cannot stand. Number two, 
which many were saying could fill the place of the great Steve Kerr, who is now a coach, the NBA's own Reggie Miller. Oh, gosh. I mean, Reggie, the Reggie is that he's not awful. He, he's, I mean, he's not great, but he's not awful when he's in the studio. Like, when he used to do inside the NBA, he was okay. He was passable. He wasn't. He wasn't a, a train wreck. What he does, James, a he'll just start yelling. He'll say things that make no sense. He he also will be, uh, you know, like so critical at times and just really his insight. He'll say things that will completely make you stretch your head. Uh, and yet, Turner, who does a great job in the NBA, you and I. I both believe that. Brilliant job in the NBA. Great broadcasters all around. Yet they continue to make Reggie Miller a high-profile guy for not only the NBA, but also when they do the NCAA tournament with uh, uh, CBS. So Miller, he's, he's more or less, he sucks. I'm sorry. Well, he he's one of the, yeah, like, a great point you made. He's one of those guys that you see it's a lot um, – especially from the mothership, the guys that aren't talented, they're talented, but they're not good at what they do. But yet they'll continue to push them towards the spotlight. So yeah. they become sort of household names. And because the only thing he hangs his hat on, he's one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. Not, the, not the all-time, because Ray Allen holds that title. But Miller, he, right. he does some... There's some guys that just yell too much. There's some guys that they, you talk, like when Clark Kellogg did games, you had no idea what he was saying when you made up some of his words. But Reggie Miller, he emphasizes points too much. So a great play yeah. will happen, and he'll be like, oh, my goodness. And he'll do it yeah. in almost a sarcastic Absolutely. tone. It makes you really mad. Speaking of sarcastic and a guy that is probably public enemy number one, apart from Jim Rome, number one is uh, from CBS, Doug Gottlieb. Yeah, I mean, and the, another guy with Gottlieb, he's, he's – Okay, I don't mind Gottlieb as much in the studio, but he really is a mess. I feel bad for Spiroditas, who I've always liked, and partially because he's from the same part of the country that I am. Gottlieb, when he does his game, is that, hey, I'm, now I have no problem with being, if you're going to be critical. I have, I have absolutely no, I think you absolutely should be critical. But when it's Gottlieb, there's a reason why Ken Fang is Fang's wife off on that Always refers to him as angry Doug Gottlieb because he's all, he's always angry. And one of the and another thing that that I, I hate about announcers, they get into a net, they build up a narrative themselves, and they keep on going back to it. When it was Gonzaga and Southern played in the NCAA tournament last year, the 2013 NCAA tournament, he was doing the games with uh, Spear, I believe, in Albuquerque. And he kept on going back to, you know, the crowd has turned against Gonzaga. This crowd is definitely behind Southern. Like, it's like, like 10 times. It's like, okay, we, we get the point. It's, it, you know, it's a Gonzaga crowd, but it's turning against them, basically, because Southern went for a 60 seed, was playing as a one seed very hard. But he kept on going back to it. So, Gottlieb, to his radio show, he's not great. He's okay in studio. Fine games. He's... And he also thinks he's, he's another one of those guys, like Reggie Miller, like like uh, like Collinsworth. I think he's hilarious. Now there's yeah. some guys that do games that are very fun. 
he is not one of them. And he's not as charismatic as he thinks he is. But, you know, it's anyway. It's a good job. Well, he thinks you're king, he thinks you're king of the mid-major. And he's very, co- he's very cocky about, with himself. Yeah, which, which a, lot, which a lot of these guys on the worst are very cocky. Apart from Bob Knight, he's just old. And same with Dick Stockton. <laughs> very good. Doug Golly, I think because he has a radio show, he already has, yeah. he carries that personality over to when he does games. Because a lot of the time, he'll give very high praise to certain players. But then he'll also, like, like beat some player with a, you know, verbally with a wooden spoon. Which, it's like, come on. You know, this isn't, he's not I doing, agree. you know, the, the the, the Big Ten games. He's doing like you know San Diego State and BYU. So like, come on, don't don't berate the guys. Yeah, like it's like it's like AU. We, we're happy we're happy to make the tournament. Yeah, we're happy absolutely. to make the tournament. And, absolutely, and with and with Jolly, and that's a that's a great point you make. Do a radio show. They'll be opinionated as well in the broadcast and various things. Another guy that does it like this and we like him is Tim Brando. Tim Brando's got a very mm-hmm. good radio show. But he'll also be like when he's a studio, and I don't have any problem with it. I actually wish more guys would be opinionated. But he'll be a very opinionated guy. And then at point times that somebody like that will say something ridiculous and over the top that he's basically trolling. So, and, and again, I like Brando. But, and of course, Brando and Jolly have had a few uh, sort of scuffles in the past, which are, which are fun. But just, uh, just another guy that ties into your whole point of uh, broadcasters, you know, the new radio show. But not us, and not, certainly not you. You know, you're, you're a professional. I try to be. But I've been out there the game for a while, so who knows? Who knows what the future holds for that? It's time to move forward now. Tonight Radio's Best and Worst. Best Analyst. Now, we'll quickly give a shout-out to our honorable mentions before we get to our top five. Honorable mentions include my good friend, Fran Frischella, uh Eddie Olchek of... NHL on NBC, also does Blackhawks games on the radio. QB Brown, Doug Collins, and Greg Anthony, all superb NBA guys. And right. we roll forward with our top five best analysts. Number five from the baseball world, John Smoltz. Once a great pitcher and yet still does well on baseball games. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was thinking about this. There aren't that many baseball guys that, that do color commentary that I, that I, I really – I, I that, that I love listening to do games. Because so there are, for baseball, there are a bunch of solid analysts. There are some, certainly some mediocre, really bad analysts. But John Smoltz is always the guy that I really enjoy listening to the ball game. I think he's the right mix of good insight. He's got a little bit of humor. He's one of those guys that he, and one thing with baseball analysts, it's become they're talking between they're going between the sabermetrics, advanced numbers, and the old fashioned stuff. I like using I like more broadcasters that use the numbers like Smoltz will. I mean he's not all over it, but he's not one of those guys like a Harold Reynolds, who I actually don't hate, along like a lot of people, but Harold Reynolds will be a guy that's completely hates numbers and you need to go look at baseball the traditional way. So I think Smoltz is a nice fusion of both. I think he does a really good good job in the booth. Solid studio guy as well, although that's not what we're talking about. And Smoltz is a guy that I think is, I've always enjoyed listening to uh, do a little uh, baseball. So, yeah. Yeah, especially, especially when baseball gets its most coverage in the fall. He's, he's someone that, you know, for, for those that don't follow baseball religiously, 
and just watch the playoffs. So definitely someone to listen to. I know the guys that did the All-Star game were all right, but I've never heard Harold Reynolds do a baseball game before since his ESPN uh-huh. days. So he sounded, yeah. it almost sounded a little bit like Chris Rock sometimes when he got, like, really excited and started talking really fast. <laughs> and then it's great that they have Tom Verducci in the booth because now you have a journalist, a former player, yeah. and Joe Buck. But John Smoltz does a fantastic job uh, when he when he's in the booth, which goes to our number four best analyst, uh, our personal favorite of ours, Jay Billis. Yeah, I mean, in terms well, of yeah. in terms of someone yeah. that get, in terms of someone that gets it right and is is the right mix of of critical yet uh, to tell it like it is. Jay Billis is definitely cream of the crop. Absolutely, Jay Billis is you know he's a really smart guy off the court. He's great talking about basketball, but he's also got a very funny, kind of dry sense of humor, and uh, especially seen on the Twitter feed. And he, you know, and I love about Jay Billis is that he, well, he's always a great doing the game. He's not afraid to be critical. He's not afraid to give you something that's beyond the narrative. He's not totally biased towards Duke, as some would think that maybe a Duke guy would be. And I, and I love it when he works with like a game like with Raftery when Raftery is hilarious, and then he'll and then Billis and then they'll go back and forth and that that McDonough Billis uh, Raftery really was one of my favorite broadcast groups ever. I know we'll get the ball, uh, but uh, yeah. So Billis and especially it's great when he does the NBA draft and he he always he always t- he takes shots out of the Jay Billis uh, wingspan drinking game. So whenever he mentions wingspan. He'll say bottoms up. So Jay Bell is very, very good guy, very funny broadcaster as well, and somebody that we always enjoy listening to across the board. So he's somebody, somebody who's like one of those articulate, educated guys that always gets it right because you can put him any, you can put him anywhere in, like especially the NBA draft, and he's pro college, so he brings something that. Van Gundy and Jalen Rose could then add on. Apart from what we've seen in the NFL draft, it's just a, a big you know, shouting match. But moving to number three for our best analyst, uh, I think someone from, from up in your neck of the woods in the Northeast. He's also uh, been coaching some European basketball on his spare time. It is the czar, Mike Fratello. Yeah, the uh, the czar of the Telestrator, Fratello. I think it's a shame. He hasn't been doing as much uh, Turner TNT games as he did in the past, but he still has NES games, the great Iron Eagle. He's uh, he's very funny. He's uh, again, you know, I like I don't. He's one of those guys to where you know I talked about the funny thing. Fratello is a generally funny guy, and he's also very intelligent. You know, he's a very good coach. He's got a uh, you know he's got a good personality. So we're listening to him do a game, whenever when it used to be with him and with Marv, but does a game with Eagle. Any of those guys. He always brings strong knowledge to the table. He's not afraid of... Uh, he's not a... You know, he's, uh, sorry, we had some uh, fire department folks go by. But, um, I was going to say, yeah. as, Flo, as Flo is under arrest. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. Although it's, it could be coming. But yeah, Fratello the guy I always enjoyed for a long time, him doing uh, some NBA action. If you're if you're an executive Turner now that Steve Kerr has gone and went to uh, coaching, would you put the Czar and Marv back together like old times? It's possible. Uh, I could very, uh, it looks like they could, they they may go in the direction of putting somebody like Chris Webber 
on that mm. top broadcast crew, which I would enjoy because Weber is a guy who I think is a very solid broadcaster. I think he's better in the studio, but I think he's, he, he does a very good job in games, which is certainly better than Reggie Miller. But, then again, really, pretty much you can put anybody at TNT ahead of Reggie Miller on uh, that top crew, with the exception of Shaq. Because I feel like Shaq doing it would be awful. But if, if they if they were to reunite them, I I would be down. I, I would have I would be totally in support of that. All right, our number two best analyst from the college football world. You best know him on game day and also putting up with Musburger's antics. It's Kurt Herbstreet. Yeah, uh, you know the man lovingly referred to as Kirby. I always thought I thought it was interesting when Herb Street, because he had been on a game day for so long, and he had done some Thursday games, but with uh, on a Thursday package uh, with Corso and Herb Street, uh, well, not, or, well, not with Herb Street, with Mike Rico, but in Herb Street was always he played the straight guy. He'll bring you some good analysis, very good analysis, like to the kind of antics that were Lee Corso, and all kinds of. Uh, He'll be very incisive. He's not afraid to be critical. Although he was kind of ridiculous with the whole uh, Northern Illinois thing a couple years ago, but it turned out that he was actually right. But Herb Street, great job in game day. And he became a really good booth guy as well. And as the face of ESPN's college football coverage, and now going forward, it'll be him and Chris Fowler in the booth together. So that'll, be, that'll definitely be interesting. They obviously have some chemistry. Uh, already, and I think that the two of them will be a uh, very good pairing. Uh, Herb Street always always brings his best, and always a very good broadcast. Yeah, if someone if someone when knowing the X and O's of the game demonstrates it perfectly, which is what an analyst should be, because a lot yeah. of the time we see we see analysts that are very critical with little insight, but Kurt Herb Street's the exact opposite. You know, if someone makes an interception. He'll explain more of why it was a good play by the cornerback or the linebacker rather than a bad throw by the quarterback, or the fact that he just made a bad throw. You yeah. know, not not also one thing that Curtis doesn't do, and which many of the guys on our top five list they don't put words in players' mouths. You always hear the guy when they make the dunk, when they make the great drive to the basket, they'll say, "So and so said, excuse me, I'm coming through. Heater up by five. And he did not say that, though. Because watching him go to the basket, it was like his mouth was closed. But, oh, well. Mm-hmm. That's my yeah, spiel. Now, number one, now, and now what are you going to say? No, I'm just saying, yeah, I agree. Good point. Now, our number one best analyst uh, from many thousands and thousands of hits on YouTube. <laughs> Bill Raftery, he now is on Fox Sports 1, was once uh, always making his uh, cameos in the NCAA tournament with great calls like Send It In Jerome and Onions and uh, the notorious Miniman. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Bill Raftery is a guy, and I, and I think it's great that he is, you know, sometimes you have a guy, he could be a, like, I'm not talking about him, but sometimes you'll see somebody, they'll just basically be a clown in the booth. And not be serious, but Raftery, beyond being absolutely hilarious and have, generally having great chemistry with virtually all of his partners, whether it's the Lundquist, uh, whatever he's with Eagle, 
um, uh, Gus Johnson, Sean McDonough, worked for a long time. He'll break down. He does. He's just really good job in the X's and O's, and he's absolutely hilarious. He's a guy that's having fun watching the game, and it's you know we love him. There's a reason why guys like him go viral, and it's because he's beloved by the people. And after all, we know that you got to give the people what they want. And that's exactly. He's done. He's done so many great games, which just make those games that much better. Because most the highlight I just played was from a few years ago when Siena upset Ohio State. I like not say it was an eight-nine game. It's not an upset. But the fact that it was, uh, like I said, it's, it's an, it is just a normal 8-9 game. But when you look at yeah. it, you think Siena was a 15 seed, you know, cruising its way to the Final Four But the way that game went. Of course, that game wasn't the same with double overtime. But Bill Raftery made it that much better. Which that, so that's around our top five best analysts. Quick to our honorable mentions before we get to our best play-by-play before we end the show here on Fanatic Radio. Honorable mentions for the best play-by-play guy have to be from NASCAR, Mike Joy. From the NBA, we have Mike Breen and Kevin Harlan. And then from football, Al Michaels and Brad Nessler. Which, any of those guys could easily be in this next top five play-by-play list. But starting at number five, someone who goes back and forth from college basketball to baseball. Very odd transition. He manages to make it work as Dan Shulman from ESPN. Yeah, Shulman is really a guy that he's become now the top guy on ESPN basically the top broadcasting guy. Showman, he's, you know, well, he's got a fantastic voice. That, that certainly helps. But, and he, you know, he works well. He He's a guy that he's not afraid to be quiet. Sometimes with a play-by-play guy, sometimes they feel that when you're watching on TV, they feel the urge to basically talk to fill the void. And, you know, fill empty spaces. Uh, you know, or spots of silence with talk with filler. He's a guy that doesn't always that doesn't have to do that. And realize you got to let a game breathe. He's and what's great about him is that he's really one of the few guys that can more or less handle big life that because when he it's like keeping a you know somebody on a leash because Dick Vitale if he's not ready then can completely go nuts and just say go way off the wall. And but he's the guy that really keeps them in, for the most part. You can't fully rein in a Dick Vitale, but you know, like uh, I think that's good work on baseball. I mean, it works for John Cruck, and Cruck's not very good, but he's just strong on both basketball and baseball. He doesn't do as much NBA anymore. He's a guy that we we both enjoy uh, doing really anything. Yeah, a good point you made about Dick Vitale. He seems like he's the only guy that can sort of calm him down because Dickie V can go off and just just, just rant. And Dan Shulman yep. lets him do that. And number four, Iron Eagle, Flo's boy from the Northeast. That's right. Iron Eagle, a uh, Jersey guy, New York guy. Actually, he's a New York guy. But, um, yeah, he's a guy that now is getting more – he's been doing broadcasts for a while now. You know, it is a relatively young guy. Now CBS is making him the number two play-by-play guy with Dan Fouch, which is probably my favorite NFL broadcast team right there because uh, both of them are really good. You have Eagle, and he's great on basketball. He's great on football. He's a witty guy. He's very funny. Um, and he's a really a great mix. He's very, he's 
technically sound broadcaster, and not to mention that he's an all-time WFAN guy. I mean, you know, and you really can't beat that. Because WFAN produced so many great broadcasters. Tim, Mike Green, among others. Although Iron Eagle is featured in one of the best YouTube videos I have ever seen, courtesy of Flo, when he was, uh, I don't know, what song was it? It's, uh, during the immediate timeout of an NBA game when he was doing the late, great Jack Ramsey. Yeah. Oh, yes. Lots of classic. So Iron Eagle, Iron Eagle's number four. Number three, the guy who was doing that game with Bill Raftery, Vern Lundquist, king of the college football, and always uh, provides great insight for the NCAA tournament as well as the Masters. Yeah, Lundquist is a guy that's still, you know, he's in his 70s, and he's probably thinking about at some point retiring. He's a guy that he's still great on football. He's great in basketball. Uh, he's great in golf. He, you know, he loves that fun. So he, that's what makes a great, great pairing with Rafferty. The chemistry between those two is just phenomenal. And, Ber, you know, Byrne, he's a very good broadcaster. He's chemically sound. He's been doing it for a long time. Very strong at football. He's not afraid to raise his voice for the, uh, to get excited for the big moment. Uh, he works well with virtually all of his broadcast partners. And not to mention, you can't really talk about Byrne Lunkus with mentioning A, his work at Happy Gilmore, and B, yes. his, his legendary belly laugh, which is, is basically, it's almost like it's taking on a life of its own as well as the, uh, the Happy Gilmore. Great, great mention of the Happy Gilmore. Uh, among the after another, uh, another great uh, tandem he works with is uh, Gary Danielson on college football. Absolutely. Which now with the SEC, the SEC being single-handedly the greatest conference in college football by many, uh, he's now like he's, uh, he's almost like the voice of football. Which would be great to see sort of the ratings rivalry when Chris Fowler makes his debut uh, with ESPN. Uh huh. All right, number two, yeah, voice of ba- voice of basketball partner of Mike. Hopefully, future partner of Mike Fratell. It is Marv Albert. Well, not not enough. I feel like not enough can be said about him because he's on every video game, every basketball video game I've had as a child, and yet he continues to do games with. With, with, and it seems like everyone who we, – we mentioned how Bill Raftery and Vernon Lundquist are great with anyone they do, but Marv Albert does a great job because of the people he's paired up with. You know, because you never see Marv working games with someone that he doesn't like. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you really – you think about basketball, you think about Marv Albert. I mean, that's famous. He's the play-by-play guy for – uh, for many years of the, the NBA and Embassy, which is a broadcast property, which is still beloved, even though it's been over almost 15 years, or maybe like 13 years since it was last on the air. But, yeah, you know, the, the most famous call is him doing, yes, and you're, yes, and the foul, as, as I just completely botched that pronunciation as I'm just, you know, wheeling about. Yeah, you, you really, I mean, Marv was not great when he did, when he did the NFL the last few years. But he's still on his game, like, you know, like white on rice doing basketball. That's a sport, and he's just he's, – he's the champ, really, at doing it. Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's, um, he's, he's, he's someone that's synonymous with basketball, much like our number one broadcaster. He also won Sports Business Journal's Broadcaster of the Year last year. And is the voice of one sport and one sport only. But in the, but for him, he makes it. He takes it literally to the next level. 
drive from Chris. Doc Emmerich, voice of NHL on NBC and various Olympic exciting hockey games. In terms of someone who is synonymous with this sport, you know, because a lot of guys are very good at double sports. Much of we've seen Vern with golf and basketball, like we saw with Dan Shulman, college basketball and baseball. Doc Emmerich is Mr. Hockey. Absolutely. You know, it was, it was, I, was, I was more or less spoiled. When I was, uh, you know, watching Devil Kings, because he used to, for a long, very long time, he was the play-by-play guy of the New Jersey Devils. And it was, that guy, A, loves hockey, knows so much about, he, he's one of the rare, because hockey is, is probably the toughest sport to do play-by-play, because even when you're doing it on TV, you broadcast like it's on the radio. It's tough because there's so many names that are difficult. It's a sport where the action virtually never stops. It very rarely does. And Doc is fantastic at, he'll be doing a play, he'll drop in like a really, uh, like a random but a tremendous tidbit about somebody, and then he'll just continue going on like there's nothing happening. The guy has so much uh, passion, love for the sport, he go, and he, he goes absolutely nuts. And the best is like when the game's going in overtime, he's getting a lot of continuous action shots. They go, he'll just be screaming the whole time, going nuts. There's the, you can never go wrong with Jack Emmerich in hockey. I love listening to games of his. He's so, he's so much fun. And, uh, yeah, you really can't beat uh, Mr. Doc Emmerich. Michael Emmerich. All right. That concludes uh, Snack Radio's best and worst play-by-play, guys. Let me recap the uh, top five worst. Stock, Doug Stockton, Chris Collinsworth, Bob Knight, Reggie Miller, Doug Gottlieb. Our best analysts, John Smoltz, Jay Billis, Mike Fratello. Kirk Street and Bill Raftery in our top five best play-by-plays. And Showman, Ian Eagle, Vern Lundquist, Marv Albert, and Doc Emmerich. Join us next week where Flo and I will break down the top five best and worst of any random thing during our Snack Radio Summer Series. <laughs> also next week, Chelsea Baker, the knuckleball princess, as the Japanese refer to her, will join us for our weekly conversation. And... We will uh, continue to break down what is going on in the NBA, maybe some baseball news, maybe uh, a little bit of something else. But once again, you can, listen to the po- you can listen to the podcast on iTunes. Go to bflow360.com. And always check out the show on Blog Talk Radio. Also, this weekend, uh, make sure to tune in as John Gardner and I attempt, and myself attempt to break down the 25 most shocking moments of the 2014 World Cup. It'll be laughs, tears, and maybe some hijinks with a little bit of analysis peppered in there. But uh, stick, stick to the blog and keep posted for that. But for Ben Florence, I'm Mike Gardner saying so long. We'll see you next time. <laughs>